Now, the one of the topics that you know, remains and that needs to be you know, dealt with before you know, this retreat then comes to an end is Dhammanupassana. And Satna, please remember, you know, towards the beginning of the retreat, you know, we you know, started you know, discussing the you know, four establishments of mindfulness, and out of those we've dealt with already, with you know, the mindful contemplation of the body, namely Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana, and we've also dealt with the mindful contemplation of feelings, and then of the mind. And the one that remains is Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, uh, namely mindful contemplation of uh, Dhammas. Now, the term Dhamma uh, represents uh, well, some difficulties uh, when it comes uh, you know, to its translation and uh, some you know, people have translated you know, this term as you know, as phenomena or as facts in general or as patterns of events or as conditions principles or uh, one could uh, leave uh, one could uh, translate uh, you know, this term as group of teachings you know, especially based on you know, what uh, then follows as an explanation in the Satipatthana Sutta namely the contemplation of Dhamma is said to consist of a contemplation of the five hindrances and also the five aggregates and then the six sense spheres and then the seven awakening factors and the four noble truths and these are all groups of teachings so that would be one way you know, to proceed. Venerable Analayo in his book Satipatthana proposes, you know, as a number of other you know, writers these days, you know, proposes to leave the term untranslated, since it's difficult to capture its meaning in the English language with just one word. Now, one could, uh, apart from a group of teachings, one could say you know, these Satya Dhammas um, constitute frameworks or points of reference you know, to be applied to during you know, the contemplation. And so, you know, this is what Venerable uh, Analayo is uh, proposing. Now, Tonight uh, we definitely will not have the time you know, to deal with all of uh, you know, these different uh, aspects here, the five hindrances, the five aggregates and so on. And so instead you know, we shall limit ourselves you know, to you know, just you know, the last aspect, namely you know, the four noble truths. And with regard you know, to mindful contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, uh, you know, the Buddha has said uh, you know, the following as is recorded in the Majjhima Nikaya, its first volume, you know, or section 62. And there it says, he or she knows as it really is. This is Dukkha. And then, he or she knows as it really is, this is the arising of Dukkha. 
And then as number three, here she knows as it really is. This is the cessation of Dukkha. And the last one, here she knows as it really is. This is the path or the way leading to the cessation of Dukkha. Now, you... You've heard the term Dukkha mentioned uh, in just this uh, short paragraph uh, four times. And so, and so you know, based on this, one could certainly then be misled you know, to think you know, that the Buddha's teachings are mostly uh, about uh, Dukkha. And if we then you know, translate you know, this term as uh, temporarily as, uh, or tentatively as certain uh, suffering, you know, then one might uh, think, oh my goodness, it's all on, on just about uh, suffering. Well, um, the first two noble truths are indeed certain about negative aspects of existence. However, understanding clearly, deeply, understanding the noble truth of the existence of suffering and also the origin of suffering or dukkha, this then leads to the positive qualities of or positive values, values in the form of freedom from dukkha and the path that leads to that freedom from dukkha. And the path that leads to the cessation of dukkha is the Eightfold Noble Path. Now, when it comes to the realization of the Four Noble Truths. Do you think this is accompanied by despair and frustration? Or do you think it's accompanied by joy and happiness? Joy and happiness. Yes, indeed. And to prove this certain very point, well, a paragraph from the Samyutta Nikaya, it's the 56th Samyutta and the 35th Sutta, where the Buddha says, It is fitting, or bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and lay meditators, for a clansman intent on his or her good to accept the offer. For what reason? Because this samsara is without discoverable in the beginning, a first point cannot be discerned of blows of spears, blows by or blows by spears, blows by swords, blows by axes. And even though this may be so, I do not say that the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by the suffering or displeasure. Rather, the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by happiness and joy. And then the question is raised, what for? And then the Four Noble Truths are being given one by one. So, 
when it comes to the uh, expression or formulation of uh, you know, the four noble truths, the term dukkha appears as uh, mentioned four times, and uh, thus it's helpful to be clear uh, on its uh, meaning. Now, Venerable Analayo, in his book Satipatthana, proposes to, um, well, get at the correct meaning by, um, well, making use of the Sanskrit etymology of the term Dukkha. So, um, in Sanskrit, you know, the, uh, the part, ka, the second part of the word dukkha, you know, means an axle hole of a wheel, whereas du or dus in Sanskrit means difficulty or uh, badness. Hence, the compound term as duksha, you know, then and duksha is you know, the Sanskrit you know, version in, you know, in Pali, it would be dukkha. Um, so the uh, meaning uh, then becomes an axle hole that is, or an, sorry, an axle that is not fitting properly into its hole, and you know, this then stands for disharmony or for you know, friction. Another you know, way of interpreting you know, the term you know, dukkha again is uh, coming from you know, the Sanskrit and so, you know, then do as before means the same thing, difficulty or badness. And uh, the second part you know, then uh, is, uh, or the ka is uh, derived from sta, which means standing or abiding. Hence, then dusta or dukha you know, then you know, means, uh, or could mean standing badly or uneasiness, being uncomfortable. And certain so, you know, venerable you know, Jnana Modi, a British monk who, you know, for instance, translated you know, the Visuddhimagga and a number of other you know, terms, he you know, goes and, or he was one you know, proposed you know, the translation as uh, uneasiness. Now, and so, you know, we can then say that so, you know, the term you know, dukkha you know, does so, you know, or have a meaning, you know, a comprehensive meaning, such as uh, unsatisfactoriness, and only suffering, uh, or suffering then, you know, would be only the second certain choice of uh, a translation. Now, it is said that uh, all wholesome dhammas fit into the Four Noble Truths. And uh, the uh, illustration that is given you know, for this is uh, you know, that of the footprint of an elephant. Just uh, like uh, you know, the you know, footprints of all other animals fit into that of an, uh, into the footprint, footprint of an elephant, so too all wholesome teachings you know, that the Buddha has given fit into the Four Noble Truths. 
And it is said, you know, with regard to you know, these four noble truths, you know, that you know, they are you know, the synthesis of you know, the entire teachings of uh, the Buddha. So brought uh, to uh, you know, to an essence or, or expressed uh, um, uh, as uh, the quintessence. Now, the Buddha you know, originally gave this uh, discourse on the you know, Four Noble Truths uh, you know, well, when he gave his very first you know, discourse ever you know, to you know, the group of uh, you know, five ascetics, the Pancha you know, Wagia in you know, Sarna, you know, which you know, is uh, close to you know, Varanasi, back then it was known as Benares. And so, so the you know, four noble truths are you know, the truth of the you know, existence of suffering or you know, dukkha, you know, the origin of uh, uh, dukkha, and then the cessation of that same dukkha, and the path or way leading you know, to its certain cessation. And to elaborate just a little bit on these four truths and then later on we shall go one step deeper. So in other words, the first noble truth states that all forms of existence whatsoever are unsatisfactory. And so, you know, the second uh, noble truth says you know, that this uh, dukkha is produced by craving, and in a wider sense, you know, later on we shall see, you know, it is uh, also uh, based in ignorance, since ignorance is underlying all of uh, you know, the unwholesome mental states. And so, so it is uh, the cessation of uh, dukkha uh, that uh, brings to an end this uh, dukkha or this uh, uh, suffering that uh, we have to uh, endure as we go through the cycle of uh, existence, namely samsara. And Instead of uh, saying the cessation of uh, dukkha, we can uh, express it in just one single word, and this would be what? Well, yes, oh, two right words. (laughs) So both nibbana and liberation is uh, correct. So it is the experience of uh, Nibbana, or it is said that in uh, Nibbana there is uh, simply uh, no unsatisfactoriness, no dukkha. And uh, also it is said that uh, the craving uh, ceases in uh, Nibbana. Now, then, 
slightly, and, or, and then as for the you know, fourth uh, noble truth, well, you know, as we've seen already, it's uh, you know, that uh, eightfold noble path that leads uh, you know, to you know, the experience of uh, Nibbana. Now, the Buddha you know, then, in various places, has uh, you know, um, given in greater detail what certainly he means you know, by you know, each of those certain four you know, noble truths. And uh, so, examples of uh, you know, the truth of suffering you know, then are given as physical events and certain, certain uh, mental, you know, mental events. And so physical events of unsatisfactoriness or dukkha are you know, birth and then decay and then also death and then on a mental level sorrow, lamentation, despair, grief and then also mental distress. And so in a wider and this are included in the first noble truth are also as the Buddha explains elsewhere experiences where we are separated from our loved ones and we are together with those whom we don't like and the one way of stating the first noble truth is by saying that certain all formations of the five groups of clinging are said to be dukkha or unsatisfactory. Now, there are two. There are the following meanings to this. Namely, in comparison to the experience of Nibbana, which is finally, uh, or in the end, the cessation of conditioned phenomena, the so the arising of uh, those uh, conditioned phenomena is uh, well not peaceful, whereas the experience of nibbana, as mentioned, so namely the cessation of all conditioned uh, phenomena, is said to be peaceful. Now, for a meditator or non-meditator who has uh, not yet or who does not have a direct uh, experience of Nibbana uh, this statement is kind of uh, somewhat difficult to, to digest so it's uh, one part of the um, of the statement you can relate to but uh, that you know, the cessation of conditioned phenomena is supposed to be peaceful how can you know this? And so you can know this only from direct experience. And the only way to get there is really through meditation practice. 
However, nonetheless, the fact still remains that the non-arising of formations is certain peaceful, and so in relation to this, all other formations, condition formations as they are occurring, is not peaceful, and thus certain a form of suffering or unsatisfactoriness. So that's a, a higher way of interpreting this first noble truth. Now, um, what do you think? It is said that the origin or the cause for the dukkha or unsatisfactoriness lies in the craving. And so this craving is given as sensuous craving, kama, you know, kama tanha, you know, then craving for existence, bhava tanha, and so, you know, then um, craving for non-existence, abhava you know, tanha, or vibhava tanha. And so, um, and so because there is craving, uh, suffering is certainly there. Now, then, when there is uh, uh, no, if there were to be no craving, then it follows that there is no dukkha or no no unsatisfactoriness. Can you think of a group of people for whom this would be valid? Yes, what? Uh, uh, I can't remember the word. Andra? Oh, the Arahans. Arahans. The Arahans. There you go. Quite right. And so, and so in the Arahans, uh, all craving, the three kinds of craving mentioned, have been eradicated. And so, as there is no more craving, it follows you know, that there is no experience of unsatisfactoriness or dukkha. So, the Four Noble Truths are valid for the one who uh, is not yet an Arahant and who is still caught up in these formations or phenomena of the five aggregates and always wanting to hold on to something. And all of this is um, in the beginning of the practice isn't all that obvious. But um, when one practices for a longer while and one's practice gets deeper, you know, one see at times one might certainly see quite clearly how the mind keeps uh, craving for another object, for another object, for another object, and so in the absence of some pleasant objects, the mind will even settle on some unsatisfactory object, as long as it has something to hold on to. And that's just the way it is. And when the experience of Nibbana takes place, one realizes that there is a state of non-grasping. 
and so simply there are no phenomena no, no occurring near there there's nothing to grasp but near there there are no sights to grasp there no sounds no, no smells and tastes and nor no tactile formations nor any mental no formations and so, no, so in the absence of craving there is no uh, unsatisfactoriness so the wider explanation on the second noble truth is certainly simply given well uh, what is this noble truth of the origin of suffering it is that craving which gives rise to fresh rebirth and bound up with lust and greed now here now there finds ever fresh delight it is you know, the sensual craving, karma, bhava, you know, then you know, the craving for existence, bhava, tanha, tan, and uh, uh, the first one is karma, tanha, the you know, second one, bhava, tanha, and then the craving for non-existence, and vibhava, tanha. Now, the further explanation on the third insight that knowledge is given as by the Buddha and as certain follows namely what is certainly this noble truth of the cessation of dukkha or unsatisfactoriness namely it is complete fading away and extinction of this craving its forsaking and giving up liberation and detachment from it and these are all the different expressions yet certainly they're all pointing in the same direction namely the direction of well, letting it go and our meditation practice is not a practice of accumulating new things but rather a practice of letting go and in particular of the unwholesome mental states so we don't want more of them but we want to let go of them and so then as a further explanation of uh, well of the fourth noble truth then come near the individual path factors but before we go into this let's stop here and then take a closer look at Nibbana itself and some of its definitions and explanations on it now in a general sense Nibbana has or is being defined in the Samyutta Nikaya 38 in the first sutta as extinction of greed, extinction of hatred, extinction of delusion this is called Nibbana and so another um, definition that something can be found in one of the commentaries to the Samyutta Nikaya is as follows namely 
salayatana nirodam sandaya basitam. It is Nibbana that is called the cessation of the six sense bases for in Nibbana near the eye, the ear, the nose, the, near the tongue, the body and the mind sees and perceptions of forms, sounds and set and so on fade away. So it's a fading away of certain, those certain different certain perceptions. And in the Majjhima Nikaya we find uh, in, in one portion an expression where it says there is an escape from this entire field of perception. And uh, the commentary near the Majjhima Nikaya then explains this uh, as Nibbana, namely the cessation of suffering. So, um, the Buddha then uh, kind of gives a hint of what the nature of Nibbana is in saying that it is an escape from this whole field of uh, perception. Now, Nibbana is defined in the Abhidhamma in the following way, namely that its characteristic is peace and its function is certain deathlessness and its certain manifestation is given as certain signlessness. And When, it's, when, the, when it is said that its characteristic is peace, then with this we don't just mean some uh, mundane type of peace and, uh, uh, or demonstrating for peace, but rather a peace that arises within. And it's an ultimate form of peace and, as mentioned earlier on, that comes you know, with the cessation of conditioned uh, phenomena. Now, the reason why you know, the manifestation is given as the signlessness is simply because Nibbana has no sign. So you cannot say that Nibbana is uh, maybe thin or fat, nor can you attribute to it colors like, uh, well, it's a pure state, so it must be you know, white you know, then in color. It's neither white nor yellow nor red nor anything uh, else. And on top of what uh, near this um, is uh, Nibbana limited to a particular you know, location, let's say, is it available only in Bodhgaya? Do you have to go on pilgrimage in order to pick it up in you know, Bodhgaya? Uh, what do you think? This is uh, another no-no. And uh, Nibbana is certainly can be attained anywhere as long as the necessary conditions are being or are there in terms of the development of the mind. And its function is as deathlessness because it is a state that is. Uh, um, that is that does not possess uh, or is not subject to birth to decay or to uh, death. 
So there's, you know, Nibbana is said you know, to be, you know, or not to be anicca, but rather nicca, which is uh, permanent. Now, Nibbana is uh, a state that is very different from our uh, ordinary conditioned experiences and uh, ordinary mundane experiences and enhance the consciousness that takes it as an object is uh, uh, classified as a supramundane consciousness or uh, knowledge. And uh, Nibbana cannot be accessed by much thinking or analyzing, nor can we gain an experience of Nibbana through reading hundreds or thousands of Dhamma books. And so and Nibbana is also not uh, accessible you know, by way of uh, logic, you know, by, ordin- by way of ordinary you know, logic. Now, it is said you know, to be eternal in nature, Dua, and you know, furthermore, it's given as uh, a happy you know, state, namely you know, Sukha. So all the you know, ordinary mundane you know, formations are, you know, conditioned formations are said to be, you know, well, Dukha, uh, which means unsatisfactory, yet Nibbana is uh, one state, a state that is given the attributes as uh, being conducive to happiness or sukha. Now, another way of experiencing the, or explaining the nature of Nibbana is by saying that it is a non-sensate type of experience. Now, with this we have to distinguish between sensate experiences and non-sensate experiences. Um, our ordinary seeing of uh, sights and hearing of sounds and smelling uh, various odors and so on, this is, uh, or these are said to be sensate experiences. The experiences that, are, that depend on uh, the six sense processes. Whereas, in the case of Nibbana, neither is there some sense object, nor is there a sense door to speak of. There is simply no sense door or no sense door process there. And hence, it is said to be a non-sensate certain experience. Now, Nibbana is said certainly to be the highest bliss or the highest form of happiness. Now, 
categories that we are familiar with in our ordinary meditation practice, such as the four primary elements, which then make up the different sensations that we experience in the body and the different mental states. All of these categories simply are not valid in Nibbana. So, to think uh, that Nibbana uh, is tantamount uh, to the four primary elements uh, would be, uh, again, uh, wrong. And sometimes um, people you know, think that, uh, well, if uh, Nibbana is... Uh, no, the cessation of formations, then maybe it's nothingness. But it's not nothingness either. And it is simply a reality on its own, different from everything else. And so in the Abhidhamma, four ultimate realities are being mentioned, and the four are, namely materiality, rupa, and then mental factors, chitasika, and then consciousness, chitta, and as the last quality, nibbana. Now, the first three are still within the mundane realm, whereas nibbana is different from the first uh, no, three in, uh, in the way you know, that it is uh, uh, supramundane or it relates to you know, the supramundane. Now, when we realize uh, Nibbana, you know, then, or when the you know, the attainment of path knowledge and fruition knowledge takes place, then this brings about a realization of nibbana, and it is said with this experience also you know, the four noble truths are understood. But it's not you know, that these are all separate certain things, but rather uh, these are four aspects uh, connected with the same uh, experience, namely the realization or the attainment of uh, path uh, path knowledge. Now, when it comes to the attainment of path knowledge, then this particular experience brings about an eradication of certain mental defilements from the stream of consciousness. And for the case, or in the case of a stream entry, those first three fetters to go are the fetter of the wrongful belief in the existence of a self, Sakaya, Deity, in Pani, and then the second one is the fetter of skeptical doubt, Wichigicha, and then the last one is the fetter of believing that or holding the wrongful view that by engaging in certain rites and rituals one can gain Nibbana. 
things with later attainments, especially with the third path attainment and fourth path attainment, other mental defilements or fetters will be uprooted from the mind once and forever. It is said that uh, with you know, the attainment of uh, you know, path and fruition knowledge, or especially path knowledge uh, connected with the path of stream entry, comes an unshakable faith in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, and also in you know, the Sangha. And so earlier on, actually at the very outset of one's meditation practice, one's faith may still have been quite shaky, but with the attainment of stream entry, this situation changes drastically and one's faith becomes very firm. And it is said that certain one will be reborn as a human being only seven or deva only seven more times. Now, maybe or and suddenly there's one further important factor that suddenly goes along or that marks the experience of stream entry namely that suddenly one's virtue becomes impeccable namely that one so the commentary explains one will not violate any of the five precepts Now, should a meditator have had an experience, an unusual experience in his or her meditation practice, then it's a wise thing to simply check whether one is fulfilling these various factors or not. And it's wise to observe one's own behavior, not just for a few days, but as the Venerable Sadhu Pandita recommends, a period of seven years. And so if within this period one you know, finds that uh, you know, one is nicely keeping the precepts and certainly uh, one's faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha is uh, unshakable, you know, then there is uh, uh, a likelihood uh, that something uh, really special uh, happened in one's uh, practice. There are other ways of uh, you know, criteria of uh, you know, verifying you know, one's uh, experience, but I'll not go into those. Now, the fourth noble truth is certainly given as the path or way that leads to the cessation of unsatisfactoriness and this path or way then is further explained as the Eightfold Noble Path and this Eightfold Noble Path consists of the following factors the first path factor is that of right view some uh, dating party and then the second one is uh, 
the you know, right path or the you know, path factor of you know, right thought or you know, right intention and you know, this is given as Samasankapa in Pani and I'll say it you know, more you know, with regard to each and every one of them uh, in, a, uh, in a few moments and so these first two you know, form what is known as the wisdom group of the Eightfold Noble Path. Then we have as number three right uh, action. So you know, that is certain some kamanta and no sorry right speech some waja and then right action some kamanta and then as the next one right livelihood. And those you know, three together you know, are you know, known as the Nasila group or the virtue group of the Eightfold Noble you know, Path, since they concern you know, one's you know, virtuous conduct. And now the now last three path factors, so number six, seven, and eight, cover right effort, sama vayama in the Pali scripture language, then right mindfulness, sama sati, and the last one is given as sama samadhi, right certain concentration. So those last three together as a group are referred to as the concentration group of the Eightfold Noble Path. Now, uh, a meditator who uh, wants to uh, well gain uh, the Dhamma needs to practice according or along uh, these uh, um, eight path factors. And so, uh, so his or her practice needs to, or he or she needs to train in virtue, sila, needs to train in, in concentration or the concentration group, and also needs to train in the wisdom group, the panyatnan group. Now, what is meant by right view? The explanation given in the text is uh, namely as the Four Noble Truths. So right understanding or you know, knowledge of you know, the truth of you know, suffering or dukkha, the origin of you know, this you know, dukkha, its cessation and the way leading you know, to it. So in an ultimate sense it's you know, that. However, as one meditates, one will be um, one will be experiencing those certain eight path factors already in one's practice. And the way the Venerable Pandita explains this is every moment that you're mindful of the rising movement of the abdomen or the falling movement or some pain or ache or mental state or you're mindful during your walking meditation, all of those eight path factors are present. Namely, you are well established in sila, you're taking the precepts, the eight precepts every night, you're observing them and as a result of this, you know, well, your speech is wholesome and your deeds are also, you know, uh, bodily deeds are wholesome and you know, then livelihood is also uh, wholesome. So you're not, uh, while you're on retreat, observing rising and falling, you're not dealing in weapons. <laughs> Obviously not. 
and uh, and I'll say more yeah, more on this. Um, and so, so yeah, the virtue group is fulfilled, and then as you're observing some predominant object, or whatever the object may be, well, uh, right effort will be there, namely, again and again, moment by moment, yeah, you're propelling the mind yeah, towards uh, yeah, the yeah, predominant object of observation, so you know, this requires effort, samavayama, uh, and uh, based on a continuous uh, uh, effort, well, what arises? Mindfulness arises. So you're mindful of uh, the predominant object moment by moment. And um, if this then happens for a while, you know, the mind will gradually, or the mind will you know, fall squarely on you know, the object of observation. I'm sorry. And you know, then uh, with this certain you know, gradually you know, concentration develops. And uh, so, in certain uh, right uh, concentration is also there. So, as we are doing, actually you know, carrying out the practice moment by moment, you know, the three you know, path factors of the concentration group are present. And um, involved in all of this are also right intentions. So, when we do so, you know, we um, well, do, you know, do so with an intention of uh, renunciation, renouncing uh, the, well, the sense pleasures and uh, you know, our luxuries and whatnot. And uh, you know, then the second one is the intention of uh, um, goodwill, so abhyapada, uh, um, sankapa in Pali. Uh, so we stay away from you know, unwholesome, from hateful thoughts, and furthermore, you know, when we do undertake the meditation practice, you know, we do so you know, with an intention of non-cruelty. So, avihimsa sankapa in the Pali scriptural language. Now, when all of these seven path factors are uh, present, then now, what happens to the uh, first path factor, namely in the form of right view? Will it arise or not arise? Hmm. Well, naturally it arises. It arises in a simple way, namely you know, that, you know, that you as a meditator that you are clearly seeing the nature or knowing the nature of uh, the predominant objects uh, uh, under observation. And instead of saying right view, we can also say right knowledge or right understanding or basically wisdom. And so as long as we're you know, practicing properly, we're establishing virtue, you know, the, the three you know, factors of the concentration group are there, and right intention are also given, then we'll gain some wisdom regarding the predominant objects. And so the first path factor in the form of right view is the outcome of the remaining seven. So this first path factor is in a sense um, 
Uh, well, in, in a sense it leads, in a sense uh, it's the result of the other seven, and in a sense uh, it also represents our you know, final you know, understanding of uh, the Dhamma. So it represents the uh, culmination of uh, um, successful meditation practice. Now, this much on the right view and certain right thought is certainly then explained it is certain by the Buddha himself it is a mind free from sensual lust from ill will and cruelty so positively expressed it is a mind in which the intentions are towards renunciation and temporarily or permanently giving up one's circle of friends and relatives and luxuries and whatnot and in order to then train in Sila Samadhi and Banya and then absence of ill will means thoughts thoughts of or having intentions of goodwill towards all beings around and then also intentions of non-cruelty not wanting to harm any being nor oneself now Right speech is certainly the third path factor, and this certainly gets explained as abstaining from four things, namely lying, so false speech, and then slanderous talk, and certainly furthermore harsh or rough language, and then gossip or idle talk. And and when uh, we use these, or when uh, uh, right speech is uh, expressed uh, in a, a negative uh, manner as uh, not uh, indulging in this or that form of uh, uh, wrongful speech, uh, then there's also a positive component to the whole thing, namely uh, that instead not only that we stay away from you know, false speech from lying but you know, we you know, say you know, what is uh, uh, conduce or what is uh, uh, in accordance uh, with uh, facts and uh, figures and so instead of uh, uh, indulging in slanderous or you know, slanderous talk or backbiting, you know, we indulge in you know, speech you know, that uh, um, promotes uh, well you know, harmony and unity and uh, friendship among uh, beings. And uh, instead of, or apart from you know, staying away from harsh or rough uh, language, you know, we you know, then you know, cultivate you know, a language that is uh, sweet and soothing to you know, the ears. It's not that you're twisting the truth, but uh, you, know, you choose your words and you say you know, things in a way you know, that others can uh, well uh, accept. And uh, yeah, then, uh, in apart 
from staying away from idle talk or gossip or you know, frivolous talk, you know, we you know, indulge in you know, if you know, at all if you know, we have to you know, talk, uh, let's say outside of a retreat or so, you know, then you know, we try to limit ourselves to meaningful talk. And so, you know, the Buddha speaks of, of, if I'm not mistaken, 38 kinds of uh, uh, actually animal talk, dirachana kata, and uh, literally it means animal talk. And so, so what he means by this is talk by the well, and talk on wars, and talk on robbers, and you know, you know latest prices and whatnot. And so you know, we shouldn't get involved in you know, this kind of you know, talk, but rather you know, develop. Or, or if you know, we have to you know, talk, you know, then you know, limit our conversations on you know, the development of concentration, of wisdom, of detachment, uh, libera- liberation in you know, virtue, and so on and so forth. And you know, the Buddha says, well, you know, if there's nothing to talk about, then uh, it's best to keep, uh, to observe uh, noble silence. Now, this, of course, in the outside world is not always so easy to maintain. <laughs> and now, the, so this much regarding right speech, and maybe in this connection, since I'm very interested in conflict resolution, please, you know, conflicts among human beings, you know, to a great extent, involve language, and you know, the language that we use, uh, or wrongly use, oftentimes may contribute, greatly contribute to, you know, to a conflict. So. It's really you know, wise uh, to you know, you know, be restrained uh, with what we you know, say and think five times before you know, we say something naughty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because uh, easily you know, things might uh, then get uh, misconstrued, misconstrued and, or misperceived and uh, you know, then uh, it, takes, uh, you know, it might take a lot of uh, effort you know, to straighten out uh, uh, these uh, difficulties. And so, mm, well, Staying away from these certain four forms of unwholesome speech, as mentioned by the Buddha, would be one aspect, and another, and then practicing or training in wholesome speech would be a second aspect, and a third aspect is to work towards clear speech, being very clear in what one wants to say, clear and to the point. Now, the, the next path factor is that of right and action, and so, you know, this covers so, you know, you know, three things, namely uh, right bodily actions. And so, the aspects are you know, well to you know, refrain you know, from you know, killing, from stealing, and certainly you know, from you know, sexual you know, misconduct. And so, 
in all three cases, if we were to indulge in them, engage in them, you know, then you know, we bring a lot of harm onto other beings and also onto ourselves. And this is not necessary. And if one thinks of the psychological damage you know, that is being done you know, when, by you know, people who you know, disregard uh, these very you know, basic you know, principles of uh, uh, humanity, you know, then uh, they bring... Um, uh, you know, then, wait a minute, what I wanted to say is, you know, knowing, this, knowing the you know, psychological damage that is caused by these, one you know, will uh, then refrain from you know, these kinds of uh, actions. Now, right livelihood is certainly given in you know, the following ways, namely, um, a disciple rejects wrong livelihood and gains his or her living by means of right livelihood. But you know, this won't help you very much. With this, you still don't quite know what right livelihood is. And so, so the Buddha has been, or was more specific, and he says that dealing in weapons would be a form of wrong full livelihood or wrong livelihood, and also dealing in living beings would be a wrong livelihood, so slavery, prostitution, and some. And then, uh, and, you know, then furthermore, you know, meat production and butchery is also considered as a wrong livelihood. And then dealing in poisons and uh, lastly you know, dealing in intoxicants. Now, in a more general way, you know, the Buddha uh, specifies and says um, that one should acquire wealth only by legal means and not illegally. And one should acquire wealth peacefully and without coercion, coercion or violence. And furthermore, one should acquire wealth honestly and not by, you know, not through trickery or deceit. And one should acquire wealth in ways which do not entail harm you know, to, uh, or entail harm you know, in certain suffering you know, for others. Now, since our modern world is uh, uh, rather complex and there are many, you know, many, you know, many professions and uh, many occupations that uh, simply didn't exist at the time of the Buddha, well, you know, we you know, just have to you know, decide you know, for ourselves you know, whether a certain profession is certain or could be you know, considered as certain right livelihood or not. Now, no. 
training in you know, these uh, three path factors uh, connected with the you know, virtue you know, group will shape our you know, conduct, our bodily and uh, verbal conduct in you know, certain ways uh, that is conducive you know, to you know, the further training in you know, concentration and uh, you know, wisdom. And without uh, you know, this you know, kind of uh, you know, shaping our bodily and verbal you know, conduct, you know, would we you know, can come across difficulties uh, over and over again you know, in, by, or in, in the form of a bad, ending up with a bad conscience and uh, having or experiencing uh, remorse over you know, things uh, that we may have uh, done or said in the past. And this then will lead to agitation of the mind. And with an agitated mind, it's simply difficult to meditate. The mind needs to be calm and still to clearly observe what's happening. Now, the... um, a next path factor is that of right effort, and so, you know, the Buddha explains this as the you know, four you know, kinds of supreme uh, effort, namely uh, the effort you know, to avoid the arising of so far uh, unarisen unwholesomeness then furthermore the effort to overcome unwholesome mental states that have already arisen then uh, furthermore the effort to bring about wholesome mental states that have not yet arisen and as the last aspect to maintain and further develop uh, wholesome mental states that have already arisen. So, this uh, fourfold form of uh, uh, supreme effort here can be further reduced to two, namely to abandon unwholesome mental states, making an effort towards uh, abandoning unwholesome mental states, and the effort made towards the development of wholesome uh, mental states. Now, the seventh path factor is that of right mindfulness, samasati and pani, and it's, is, or the Buddha explains it further as the four establishments of mindfulness. Chattaro, Satipatthana in Pali, and fortunately I don't need to say anything more on this, since <laughs> we've been already heard several Dhamma talks on this topic. And so the last path, path factor, the eighth path factor, is that of right concentration, samasamadhi, and so, you know, the Buddha himself uh, explains it in you know, one place as. Uh, uh, consisting of uh, uh, the four jhanas, so you know, certain you know, levels of uh, absorption, of concentration. However, um, 
Uh, this doesn't mean you know, that certain you know, Vipassana is excluded and in particular you know, the so-called momentary concentration Kanika Samadhi that arises in the context of Vipassana meditation that this is excluded and certainly there are reference, other references that then do include this momentary concentration so for those here under the eighth path factor, those who practice samatha, the meaning is for right concentration, namely the four jhanas, and for those who practice vipassana or insight, the well, right concentration comes in the form of kanika samadhi. Now, it is said with regard to, to these four noble truths uh, that you know, certain actions certain need to uh, be uh, undertaken or need to be there. The first noble truth, namely that of the existence of suffering needs to be fully understood and certain, uh, the noble truth of the origin of suffering in the form of uh, craving and in a wider sense including ignorance needs to be um, abandoned and the third noble truth of uh, the cessation of uh, Dukkha needs to be realized while the last and fourth noble truth needs to be uh, developed and so The, the Buddha himself at certain times speaks of, speaks of himself as a physician and sometimes in some places when he speaks of the Dhamma he speaks of it as a medicine and thus uh, there is an illustration you know, for you know, the, or the Buddha gives an illustration you know, for you know, the four noble truths, namely um, that of uh, uh, of an illness or a disease. So. Uh, the uh, truth of the existence of suffering you know, compares to an illness or, or you know, having a disease. Um, whereas the second truth of the origin of uh, the suffering corresponds uh, to um, the, uh, a virus which uh, you know, then is uh, you know, the uh, cause of uh, you know, the disease and uh, then the third uh, noble truth it is uh, being illustrated you know, by the cure, uh, by the cure of the disease, and which uh, then is given as uh, the status of or condition of health. And so the last noble truth is compared with medicine or with a cure. So practicing the Eightfold Noble Path is the medicine that we need to take and develop. Now, these this illustration 
this fourfold certainly illustration of certainly the disease of the you know, virus of health and of certainly the cure interestingly enough also you know, then is found in some uh, older you know, texts uh, you know, medicinal you know, or, or you know, texts related you know, to medical you know, sciences but uh, as Professor Wetzler points out maybe these certain pre, you know, these are based on you know, the Buddha's original uh, illustration. Now, in Samyutta Nikaya, the you know, Buddha explains you know, these certain you know, four. Um, aspects uh, with regard to uh, the Four Noble Truths in the following ways namely uh, there are things that need to be you know, fully understood you know, by direct knowledge and those are you know, the five aggregates you know, subject to, you know, to you know, clinging and and then there are things to be ab- abandoned and those are ignorance and craving for existence and then there are things to be realized by you know, knowledge and certain so this is true knowledge and liberation and you know, there are things that need to be developed and you know, this then is given as serenity meditation and insight so meditation now There are you know, the Visuddhimagga um, explains you know, the you know, nature of uh, Nibbana and you know, the path and the person you know, to you know, walk you know, this path you know, from an ultimate certain point of view and so in the form of two new verses and the two verses, the first one you've heard before and the second one is new namely, mere suffering exists no suffer is found the deed is but no doer of the deed is there Nibbana is but not the man or woman that enters it the path is but not the traveler on it is certainly seen and furthermore the first truth the noble truth and the second noble truth are empty empty of permanency empty of bliss of self and beauty and the deathless realm is empty of an ego or self and free from permanency pleasure and self is the path now what we have here in in particular in the second sort of verse are the uh, qualifi- or the qualities of uh, um, the first and second noble truth and then of uh, nibbana uh, itself so the uh, first and second truth are um, they're not so they're empty of permanency so you know, they're impermanent formations are impermanent and you know, they are empty 
empty of bliss, which means uh, they're not sukha but dukkha. They're empty of a self, so they're not atta but anatta. And you know, they're not. Uh, they're empty of beauty, which then means they're not uh, uh, suba but rather asuba. But you know, when it comes you know, to you know, the experience of nibbana, and so, you know, the term for this here is deathless realm, you know, then you know, there it is empty of an ego. So there's just no self there. And again, um, the path itself is said um, to be free from permanency and then pleasure and self. So the aspect of uh, non-self is uh, very clear when it comes to, um, uh, well, the experience of uh, Nibbana. Now, formations are said to be uh, unsatisfactory, as uh, mentioned earlier, on to some extent. Um, simply, you know, for you know, conditioned formations are said to be unsatisfactory, simply because of you know, the fact that you know, they are uh, impermanent. And so you know, their you know, being impermanent um, then um, is a form of uh, uh, suffering. Now, the the Satipatthana Sutta in its chapter or its section on Dhamma Nupasana, namely mindful contemplation of Dhammas and in particular of the Four Noble Truths, simply says that one knows those respective truths. But there is a shorter discourse from the Sutta Nipata that gives some further uh, or indicates uh, um, some further instructions regarding those certain four noble truths and uh, there it certainly says that a meditator could uh, um, well focus either on knowing uh, the presence of uh, dukkha and then also to focus on the conditions or to know the condition that leads to the arising of uh, dukkha which comes in the form of craving and the other thing to focus on would be to know the cessation of that dukkha and also to then know the condition that leads to the cessation of this dukkha and the condition simply lies in the Noble Eightfold Path. So this then would add somewhat another level or quality to the 
contemplation, mindful contemplation of uh, the four noble truths. Now, let me conclude uh, tonight's Dhamma talk by wishing may the practice of the four satipatthanas, the four establishments of mindfulness, diligently and wholeheartedly carried out. May it lead all of you to, or may it issue in the realization of the four noble truths, and this as such then marks the culmination of successful Satipatthana practice and may this happen as soon as possible and this is it for tonight Questions? Yes, uh, no, way in the back, uh, it's John, I think. You uh, said a little bit about half knowledge. Could you say something about fruition knowledge oh. between the two? Uh, yes. Okay, so now the attainment of path knowledge or or the attainment of the path of stream entry technically um, happens roughly speaking happens as follows so a meditator develops his or her practice up to the knowledge of equanimity about formation so sankopekanyana and then um, once this knowledge is well developed well balanced then when the right conditions are there the practice will automatically go into the knowledge of conformity Anulomanyana, which lasts only you know, for a very short period of time, and then comes certain what is known as Gotrabunyana, uh, namely uh, the change of uh, the knowledge of the change of lineage. This too is uh, just one mind moment, if I'm not mistaken, and then uh, according to the Abhidhamma and um, and then this is followed by uh, just one moment of uh, where the mind tells there's certain um, preparatory and whatnot, and then comes certain, you know, the um, path or moment of path consciousness, which is a very unique type of consciousness, um, which. Um, well, it performs uh, several functions, namely, uh, as we've seen, uh, it uh, abandons a certain number of uh, mental defilements, and uh, with this also comes the realization of uh, you know, the Four Noble Truths. And uh, once that path knowledge has uh, uh, path knowledge or path consciousness, maganyana, or Magacheta has passed away, and then it will be followed by two or 
therefore, uh, in the case of the meditator with keen faculties, you know, by three you know, moments of fruition consciousness. And fruition consciousness, uh, fruition consciousness, just like uh, path consciousness, takes Nibbana as an object, so the supermundane state. In that, both of them are you know, the same, they're similar. Um, but Nibbana, sorry, fruition consciousness does not eradicate any of you know, the mental defilements. Um, but rather its function is to enjoy the fruits of one's hard uh, and laborious uh, meditation practice over uh, many days. So it's reaping, uh, reaping the fruits and uh, this uh, fruition knowledge um, can be uh, experienced by a meditator many, many, many times, many thousands, if not hundred thousands of uh, times. And um, whereas in the case of path knowledge, there is only path knowledge or path consciousness. There is only one single path consciousness for uh, every um, level of attainment. So, with regard to the attainment of stream entry, there's only one moment of path consciousness in in, uh, in one's existence, in one's uh, uh, present existence and so not two or three. Now, that certain sort of fruition consciousness now can be developed. And so at first, uh, uh, like I said, it arises only for two, you know, two moments or you know, three moments. But uh, you know, later on, it can you know, be, or the mind can be trained in, in a way you know, that it lasts um, you know, for you know, several seconds, and then for several minutes, and then for you know, five minutes and ten minutes and uh, half an hour and uh, one hour and two hours and so on. No. And um, in, in, in both cases, path knowledge and fruition knowledge, it is since both uh, uh, um, consciousnesses take Nibbana as an object, there is no ordinary seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching in, uh, in you know, the experience. So it is this non-sensate uh, experience. Those, uh, those are some of the, um, and maybe as, an, as a further, you know, further point, once a meditator has certain gained uh, path and certain fruition knowledge, um, then uh, it's a good idea you know, to you know, then further develop this certain fruition consciousness you know, to you know, the best of uh, one's uh, uh, abilities, since this then will pave the ground or, or the way for you know, the uh, well meditated or you know, for you know, one's practice towards uh, the realization of the next uh, path. No? So, um, 
the mind it needs to be uh, needs to be trained it needs to be skilled um, in, in, in different ways of you know, staying in that so, in a place of uh, peace of uh, fruition for longer periods um, and, and so, you know, uh, also frequently to you know, experience this and so immediacy would be another aspect immediacy means as quickly as possible and so maybe one more you know, feature in connection with path consciousness and fruition consciousness um, both of them are linked so you know, when path consciousness uh, you know, arises you know, the first time it must inherently uh, it must uh, follow, you know, be followed by you know, fruition knowledge but once path knowledge of the first path has occurred you know, then you know, fruition knowledge will arise only by itself and it will not be preceded by path knowledge anymore path knowledge you know, uh, you know, with regard to the first path you know, to path of stream entry so John does this answer your, your question no, not for tonight. <laughs> so what is missing? The personal experience. Okay, <laughs> anything else? Well, if there's no if there are no more questions then uh, let's and, um, <coughs> and then there's <coughs> sorry, there's one more demo talk tomorrow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.